All right. Good morning, Waypoint. Uh, if you're new here today, welcome. My name is Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, and yeah, we're, we're glad you're here today. Uh, we are. Today is our last day in the series. So, I mean, you're, you're not, don't, don't worry about it, okay? It's not like you're too late here. If, uh, if this is your first time for this series, uh, no big deal. It's, uh, I, it'll click, okay? Um, but this is our last day in the series that we're in called Exile, where we've been exploring the Old Testament book of Daniel, which is a story about a group of Israelites who have been um, exiled to Babylon. And the whole point, really, of this book is to consider what it means or what it looks like to follow after God in a godless society or a godless culture. Now, the book of Daniel, if you're familiar with it, it is 12 chapters long, okay? And, and together, we have covered three of those, right? So, um, so if you're wondering how we're going to get through uh, nine chapters in, uh, in a Sunday service in, in one, one day today, uh, let's just say I hope you brought your lunch, okay? I'm joking. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, that was never the plan. Um, and one of the things that I've tried to do in this series is identify some of the major themes or ideas from the book of Daniel when it comes to how to live as exiles, how to live and follow the ways of Jesus, follow after Jesus in a world that wants us to follow in its ways. Um, or how do we live faithfully for God in a godless culture? What does that look like? And, and I think, and maybe I can only speak for myself in this moment, but what I have come to realize is that faithfulness in exile is difficult. And, and because it's because of the ways we maintain faithfulness in exile is difficult. Those ways are difficult. Ways like obedience and resistance and humility are ways of faithfulness to God that are hard to maintain day in and day out. It's difficult. And, and because sometimes, it's, it sometimes feels like day in and day out, what am I doing it all for? I do this all for what? We do our best to maintain faithfulness, and yet we still struggle. We still experience hardship. Whether it's to provide and make ends meet, or, or, or keep your marriage together, or raise kids, or have kids. So not only is exile a struggle, but also to maintain faithfulness is a struggle. And I also say it is also a struggle to maintain hope. To maintain hope. It's a struggle to maintain hope when it feels like nothing is working. Or things aren't going the way that you think. Things aren't going the way that they ought to according to what you believe. Right? As people of Jesus, what does it mean to be people of Jesus and actually believe that Jesus is king when our lives or our world doesn't look like Jesus is king? Does our world look like a world where Jesus is king? No. Sadly, just look at the headlines, right? Look at the headlines recently. And it's actually hard to believe Jesus is king. 
though many of us don't need the headlines, sadly, to find this hard to believe. So what does it look like to be people who follow Jesus and believe that Jesus is king of the world when not only is the culture hostile to us, but even the way that the world works doesn't seem to reflect the fact that what we believe, that Jesus is king, when the world doesn't seem to reflect that? What does it mean? for us Christians to find hope in this world? What on earth would inspire Christians to believe that this is going to get any better? When we see the headlines day in and day out in our own lives, our own struggles, what would inspire us to believe that it's going to get any better or that there is any hope for our world or for our lives? And that's exactly the place that we find Daniel at and where we are going to pick up today. How do we maintain hope? Welcome to Daniel chapter 7. Right? I feel like this has been the whole series for me, quite honestly. But hang in with me today, folks. Okay? Bear with me today. I'm going to say that again. I am. Okay? At this point in the story, Daniel has been in exile. Uh, for at least 55 years in Daniel chapter 7, all right, because we met Daniel in chapter 1, and he's maybe 15, year old, 15 years old when, when uh, Jerusalem is taken, when Israel is taken captive by Babylon. Um, and then we find in chapter 5, when Persia captures Babylon, he's around 70 years old. Now, chapter 7 technically takes place before chapter 5 because of how the book of Daniel is split up, okay? The book of Daniel is split into two halves. Okay, one half is stories from Daniel and his time in exile, and the other half is prophecy, the visions that Daniel had during his time in exile. Okay, and the stories are relatively easy for us to read, right? Stories are easy for us. We understand stories. They make sense. We're used to stories. We grew up reading some of these stories, okay? Prophecies, on the other hand, we really have no concept for in our culture other than like the Simpsons, (laughs) right? who, like, have an uncanny, uncanny ability to, like, predict the future. It's super strange, okay? Um, and, like, true story, when the Super Bowl was, when I was sitting down with a bunch of guys who were talking about, okay, what's, what are your predictions for the Super Bowl? And one guy literally said, what did the Simpsons say? <laughs> it, it just kind of made me chuckle as I'm thinking about this. Can I say Super Bowl? The big game. I don't know. I can't remember. Okay. Regardless, so we, we, in our culture, we don't really have a category for prophecy, for what this looks like. And so, I guess aside from Simpsons, okay, this stuff, it just gets kind of weird for us. It gets strange. And then you add, like, Christians who, like, make it weird, right? Okay? And so, like, it, it just, it gets weird when Christians start trying to, like, take this and, and turn it into something that, like, is, is, like, I actually think I found a good image for what, or a solid depiction of what this looks like when some, what some Christians tend to do um, when they read prophecy in the Bible, Right? Sometimes. Okay? And so it, it, it sometimes feels like this. Like you're up there like, oh yeah, okay, times, times, and half time. Okay, get it. Right, and, then you're, and then you're piecing together all this stuff. Okay? And so maybe some of you sitting in the seat, maybe that's you, and that's cool. You know? That's, that's all right. All right? I could get really excited about it too. Okay? But, and so maybe you're sitting in the seat and you're really excited for this moment in this series. And, um, and so you've, you've been looking forward to this time in Daniel when we get into the prophecy and the visions and all that stuff. You're ready for it, right? You've brought your calendars. 
Okay, you've got your charts and your tables ready, right? An opportunity to kind of connect all the dots and predict the end times, like you're ready for it. Okay, you've read all the left behind books, okay? Sorry to disappoint you this morning, um, but that's not my focus today. It's not, but I do get it. I do get it. Because the reality is, and I get why we're prone to do that, why some of us are prone to do that. I think all of us are prone to do that. All of us want to know when. We want to know when. And so I, th- I get it because life is hard. Life is hard. And when you're doing your best to live faithfully to God in a godless society, the reality is you get tired. And then, and then you see or experience more hurt and more pain, and you begin to wonder, how long is Babylon going to last How long will this world be the way that it is, and when is it all going to end? And so there are people way smarter than I am, whom I have a huge amount of respect for, that have all sorts of opinions on this stuff. And I think that's great, but honestly, I'm cautious to do that because when you turn prophecy into speculation about the what-ifs of the future, tragically, I think you can miss out on what this has to tell us or say about us today here and now, because here and now is obviously where we find ourselves at, exiles, here and now. And so that is what this whole series has been about, how to live in exile. And so that is what our focus is going to be today as we read through Daniel chapter 7. Okay, you with me? Sweet, all right, let's dive in, okay? So this is uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were four winds of heavens churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. It goes on. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, with the mind of a human being was given to it. And there before me stood a second beast, which was like a bear, and it raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And after that, I looked, and before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads. That's some crazy leopard, like a death leopard. Okay, and it was given, it was given, that all the old people are laughing at that one. (laughs) And it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful, and it had large, huge iron teeth, and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And while I was thinking about the horns, because that's what Daniel did, there before me was another horn, a little horn, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes, like the eyes of a human being. And it also had a mouth that spoke boastfully. Makes sense. Right? Are we tracking? Okay, yeah. All right. No, that, we're going to keep going. And like, I get it. Um, But to Daniel, to Daniel, um, this, this this isn't strange to him. 
okay? Dreams and visions were not uncommon, and it's actually not uncommon to find dreams and visions throughout the scriptures, okay? And so for Daniel, this isn't uncommon for him, okay? Even though we read that he was greatly troubled by this at the end of his dream, to Daniel and other ancient readers of the prophets, okay, and other things, dreams and visions of beasts and horns were commonplace, and and they're often symbols, Okay, so first, before we dive in any further, I want us to take notice of the word like. As we read that, okay, we found like shows up time and time again throughout Daniel 7. And what Daniel is trying to do here is just describe the indescribable. Because dreams and visions from heaven really push, really push our our earthly language to its breaking point. So we get the word like over and over again, okay? And I think we experience this too in our own lives because some of the best things that we experience in our own lives are actually really difficult to put into words. If you're married in the room, think of that. Think of your first night with your spouse. It was like time stood still, right? It was like, like a beautiful symphony, played the sweetest sound. It it was like shooting stars. All right? Those are direct quotes from my wife. (laughs) (coughs) But how do you describe something like that, right? It's it's so hard, and that's the predicament Daniel is in, okay? And so now I'm going to go through this a little quickly, okay? Because again, this this isn't my point, but it's important for us to understand. These beasts and horns are are in fact symbols. They are in fact symbols, okay? And although there's some debate, um, most scholars think that these four beasts are symbolic for four different empires in the time and after Daniel, okay? Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And many scholars believe that Daniel too Nebuchadnezzar's dream that we skipped because it's kind of tied into this, and and Daniel 7 are connected. Okay, and so I kind of found, I've tried to find like the cheesiest image. And so this is the one with like the dinosaur down there at at the bottom. So I, I just love it. Okay, anyway, so the first beast is like a lion with wings of an eagle. And that was like stock imagery for Babylon. Okay, like if you, were just, if you just Google Google image Babylon, like first of all, the hanging gardens of Babylon are going to come up, and like in the hanging gardens, you're going to see this beast, this lion-looking creature with the, with the face of a human and, and eagle's wings. Okay, so this is stock imagery for Babylon. The second beast was like a bear with three ribs in its mouth, and the Im- imagery would suggest that this bear is still hungry. That's why those ribs are there. It ate, it ate something, but it is still hungry. It's told to go, to go fill its, its belly with more flesh. Okay, so the Medo-Persian Empire... Um, eight, not only conquered Babylon, but also Egypt and Lydia at the same time, okay? But it was still hungry and out for blood. And then the third beast was like a leopard, our death leopard, okay, with wings signifying incredible speed. So many scholars think that this, this is symbolic of the Greek empire with Alexander the Great, who not only conquered the Medo-Persian empire, but most of the known world at the time, and it only took him a little over 10 years. Speed. Okay, and then with that leopard that had the four heads, okay, not only did it happen quick, but those four heads, it's because Daniel, or not Daniel, sorry, Alexander, when he died, his kingdom was split into four pieces of his four generals, okay? And this last beast in Daniel's dream was just unlike anything he'd ever seen, apparently, because he doesn't liken it to anything, other than the fact that it's just a beast, and it's terrifying, and it's frightening, and it's very powerful, and it has large iron teeth. And some scholars, some scholars think, like, like this image, think this points to Rome. Others 
perhaps a Syrian ruler before the time of Rome, okay, named Antiochus, okay, who, was hor- who horribly persecuted Jews in Israel, in Jerusalem. And there are others that think that this is still about a ruler yet to come. So Daniel, coming back, Daniel has this terrible dream, okay, terrible dream about how horrible Babylon is and how horrible the kingdoms of this world are, and is wondering how long is this going to continue? How long will the kingdoms go on like this? And so in this dream, there are these awful beasts, right? Lions, bears, leopards, oh my, okay, and this terrifying super beast with horns. And so what does this have to do with anything in our lives today? Anyone here thinking that? Okay, like when you read this stuff, what does this have to do with my life today, right? I, I came from a week, I had a hard week. That's the reality for some of us. We come in here and life is hard. And so we cherish this time on Sunday. Time to be filled up. And, some, and then the guy gets up here and is like, we're going to talk about some dude's whack dream. Okay. What does this have to do with my life? Friends, bear with me today, okay, because I'm convinced that this has everything to do with our lives because it had everything to do with Jesus' life. And to follow in Jesus, to follow Jesus, is to be adopted into his family. And so when you read the scriptures, you're no longer reading some random story. You are reading a story of your family history. And it's your story too. This is what it is to read and engage with the scriptures because this is how Jesus read and engaged with the scriptures. And so what we're going to discover today is that this chapter in Daniel 7 is perhaps the most important part of the scriptures to Jesus. He quoted it many, many times. And the one way that he used to refer to himself, Jesus accepted the the name Christ. Like he he didn't deny it. When people called him the Christ, he never denied it. But Jesus never called himself that. And so we're going to get to a point in the scriptures that I think in in Daniel 7 today that I think is really significant to Jesus. Okay, so I know this is a weird dream, all right, but hang with me. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, his hair and head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. Ancient of Days is the term we get here, eternal one. The one who rules then and rules now. He's outside of time, ancient of days. He's the ruler of rulers. Okay, the first kingdom to come and the the last kingdom that will be. And his clothing was white, symbolizing purity. Okay, his hair was white, symbolizing wisdom. Again, Daniel's just doing his best to try and give us like earthly language to to these heavenly things like heavenly purity and heavenly wisdom. Verse 10, a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Tens, thousand, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. It's funny because like, the, the numbers here aren't real words. You know like when your kid says, I love you like a bazillion, jillion, gillion, thrillion? It's like kind of what's happening here in the scriptures. Okay, and then the court, and then we're in this courtroom. The court was seated and the books were opened, okay? This is courtroom language. It's a courtroom where God is judge, jury, executioner on his flaming Godmobile. What I like to call it. okay. Verse 11, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words, that horn, that little horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts have been stripped of the authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like 
a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Son of man, hmm, where have we heard this before? Where have we heard this before? Is there someone in the Bible, is there someone in the Bible who referred to themselves as this? Your Sunday school radars should be like, beep, beep, beep. Okay, it should be going off, all right? Is there someone in the Bible? Who are we talking about here? We're, all right, so say it again, we're in a church. Yeah, there we go, okay, like, okay, just like a good Sunday school class, very good, very good, okay, all right, Jesus, and again, I want you guys to notice the word like, because Jesus was indeed like a son of man, but he was also so much more, and yet, he was like us, he felt hunger, thirst, he knows personally our pain and our struggles on this earth, he gets us because he was like us. Let's keep going. Verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. So I approached one of those standing there, one of the gazillion, drillion, thrillions, and I asked him, what is the meaning of all this? So he kind of walked up to this, this dude, and he's like, hey, I mean, I totally get this, but like, what do you think this means? Okay. <laughs> So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise up from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it, possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I want to know the meaning of that fourth beast, which is different from all the others and most terrifying, its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head. And about the other horn that came up, which before, the three fell, which before three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had eyes and a mouse, mouth, and spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating the holy people until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy peoples of the Most High. And then the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation, the fourth beast, which I have come to call the super beast, is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The 10 horns are kings, are 10 kings. Horns are symbolic in the scriptures for uh, rulers, okay? Not like, not like a trumpet horn, but like a, like a bull's horn. Okay, for rulers. So horns um, are ten kings, and after them will arise one different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the, sovereign, the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. 
This is the end of the matter, and I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. Verse 26, but the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and rulers will worship and obey him. Who is him? This angel messenger being standing there, filling Daniel in, is referring to that moment in the vision, is referring to that one like the Son of Man in the dream. So that's Daniel 7. That's what we've got. That's what we're working with today. Okay, you've got God's holy people who, have, who are persecuted, who are the minority, being trampled by the kings and kingdoms of the world, and they're wondering how long, how long will these kingdoms rule the earth? And if you're Daniel, is this dream good news to you? If you're Daniel, is this dream good news to you? Yes, yes it is, absolutely. This is good news to you, okay? In this dream, Daniel is reassured that it will not be forever. That these kings and kingdoms will not rule forever. That one day these kings and kingdoms, they will be destroyed and God's people will be vindicated and God's people in the world, God's world will be made right. And like, that's cool and all. Yeah, I get that. I know that's gonna happen, but like when? When? I want to know when, because I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of the brokenness that I see and that I experience. I want to take you to one more place in Scripture. This is Matthew 26. Band, you guys can come on up. We have here in Matthew 26, Jesus standing. He's standing trial Okay, in this, in this makeshift courtroom before the religious leaders of the day because he's healing people and he's loving people and he's claiming that the kingdom of heaven is here and it is now. And so we have this moment where the high priest brings together the rest of the, of the religious leaders and they bring Jesus in front of them and they ask him, are you the Messiah? Jesus doesn't answer. Verse 62. Then the high priest stood up again and he said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so. Jesus replies, so punk rock again. But I say to you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Does that sound familiar? Then the high priest, he tore his clothes and he said, he has spoken blasphemy. Blasphemy. Again, this should sound familiar because we just read it in this moment when, to Jesus when he refers to himself as the Son of Man. When he's telling the high priest, listen, when you condemn me, that is the moment that I will be lifted up. In this moment, Jesus calling himself the Son of Man, who is he calling the high priest of Israel? Or what? The beast. The super beast, in that moment, that's what he is calling the religious people of the day. 
To Jesus, Jesus has come to dethrone the beasts of our world, the kingdoms of man, all all of them, from Babylon to the religious in Jerusalem to the kingdoms here in 2023. Jesus is Lord, and the kingdom of heaven is the only kingdom that lasts. But in times of exile, it can be easy to lose hope. Because we look at the world around us and we wonder, how long is it going to be like this? Daniel, he wondered. He prays in chapter 9, repenting. Like Daniel was pretty close to perfect. And he repents, and then he petitions God to deliver them and return them back to the promised land. Back to where the goodness of God is and flows. And maybe you too, maybe you too yearn for the promised land. I think we all do. I think we all yearn for a time and a place where everlasting and goodness, everlasting peace and goodness is everywhere. And there isn't pain and suffering, but rather joyous celebration. I think there's a song that really just depicts this perfectly. And so I'm going to invite you guys to listen to this song, and then I'll come back up and close this out today. I love that line, with nothing left but hope and these two hands. Jesus, you are my promised land. Because the reality is, it's here and now. And yet we know the reality is that it's also not yet. Here and now, but also not yet. Because our hope doesn't come from this world. Our hope is in the kingdom of heaven, in Jesus. And it's not, it's not like life after death. Because it is now, but also not yet. Jesus claimed the great hope of Daniel. He said that the kingdom has arrived, the kingdom is here, and the kingdom of now is now. That is our hope. That in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is here and now. In Jesus, what's dead will live. Sick people will be healed. Those who don't feel loved will know love. Broken marriages, relationships, and lives will be restored in Jesus. No earthly kingdom will last. No earthly kingdom will stand before the kingdom of heaven because Jesus' kingdom and his kingdom is here and now and forevermore. And in Jesus, we get to be a part of that. We get to see that happen here and now. We get to usher in that kingdom with Jesus. We get to see it and experience it. So I don't know where this lands with you today, where this series lands with you today as we talk about exile and learn about exile, but I know that exile is hard. And I know that this life is hard. But Jesus is our hope. Whether you're the victim of all the mistakes of the world, you're living faithfully, you're doing your best, and you're like Daniel, God, when is this, when is this going to end? We have the life. 
and the story of Jesus and his spirit within us. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've made a lot of mistakes. You're not perfect. No one is. God doesn't ask you to be. But he does say, follow me. Love me. Put your faith and trust in me. Because everything in this world will fade. Everything else in this world will fade. And so as we go from here today, may we live in the now and not yet. The way of exile is a way of hope. In hope. In Jesus. In exile, we can be little pockets of joy, peace, love, gentleness, kindness to the world around us because our hope isn't in anything. Our hope isn't set in anything in this world. Because what you hope for shapes what you live for. So I pray that's Jesus today. Our hope is set on Jesus, his kingdom. Amen.